welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. Before I get into the message, I'd like to share a quick story. About 25 years ago, Pastor Kent Carlson, now our pastor emeritus, was preparing a sermon when he had a recurrence of a back issue that he had been battling. In the midst of the hustle and bustle of ministry, he had hurt his back. But the show must go on, they say. So I was asked to deliver a sermon written by Kent. It was a little weird, as you might imagine, me speaking the words of another person, but I guess it worked okay, I suppose. Well, guess what? Here we are again. As I mentioned at our Thanksgiving Eve service earlier this week, Mike was around someone who later tested positive for COVID. Now, we don't have any reason to worry. Mike was tested this past Wednesday, and thankfully his test came back negative. But to be, th- but, but to be safe, we thought it would be best that he would quarantine for just a few more days. So here's the deal. Just like 25 years ago, I am going to be delivering a message that was actually written by Pastor Mike. So during this message, I might refer to my wife, Julie. <laughs> or my dog, Gus. Or start fanboying about Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. Just remember that I'm just the messenger here. But if you do like the message, well then, you're welcome. Also, if it helps you to listen, you can picture me just a little bit taller, a little bit paler, and with more gray hair. A lot, a lot more gray hair. Okay, so let's get into the message. There is a story that keeps repeating itself throughout the Old Testament. A cycle, if you will. And it goes something like this. The people of God, the Israelites, are in a good season where they are living faithfully before him. They are building their lives on him. They are awake and in step with his presence and priorities. They are following his ways and obeying his commands. They are living faithfully and life is good. But then things change. The people put self before God. Or they decide they want a God and their, ha- their hands can touch and their eyes can see. So they give in to their propensity for idolatry and make a God out of gold or silver or stone. One way or another, the people are enticed away from God. And they begin a season of sin and self-reliance. And their unfaithfulness Where was I? Okay. (laughs) One way or another, the people are enticed away from God, and they begin a season of sin and self-reliance. And their unfaithfulness brings all kinds of difficulty, chaos, and turmoil. Sometimes this continues for years, and darkness hovers over their world. Eventually, they feel as though God has left the building and abandoned them. He seems really far away. But as this familiar cycle continues, another aspect is that even in the midst of the darkest and most desperate of days, God encourages his people to remain hopeful. He urges them to cling to hope by reminding them that one day he will come and deliver and restore them. Well, in time, God arrests the attention of his people. They wake up and realize their unfaithfulness. Sometimes a prophet helps them to return to God. And when they do, God embraces them 
with open arms. He willingly forgives and restores his people. And life is once again good. This is a familiar cycle in scripture. We might simplify it as the good life. Unfaithfulness, consequences, hope, repentance, restoration, and then once again, the good life. Our scripture reading was written to people living in the southern kingdom of Israel known as Judah. It was mostly known by its capital, Jerusalem. The temple was in Jerusalem, and for the people of Israel, Jerusalem was the center of the world. It was God's holy city. And because it was God's city, it was secure and unconquerable, for he himself, they believed, would defend it. But in our scripture from Jeremiah 33, life is no longer good for God's people. The unthinkable is happening. Jerusalem is about to be destroyed by the Babylonian invaders. The unfaithfulness of God's people has led to this awful moment when big bad Babylon is knocking on the doors of God's holy city. And they are about to reduce it to rubble and dust and fill the air with the aroma of death. And this is the situation, the context of today's scripture reading. In these words, God shines a beacon of light into the encroaching darkness. He offers a glimmer of hope at a time when hope was rapidly fading. Our Advent series this year for the next four weeks is called A Season of Hope. And how perfectly fitting and appropriately defiant at the tail end of this tumultuous and unprecedented year. This first week of Advent is about hope promised. The promise of hope to those living on the edge of darkness. The promise of hope to those who are afraid, suffering, lonely, struggling, and wondering where God is. I can't think of a more timely topic to consider on this 2020 Advent season. I imagine many of us today hunger for hope. So let me get to Mike's first, um, first message point, the promise of hope. The situation is grim for the people of God living in Jerusalem. There is no way out. In the first century, invasions were a long and foreboding process. And once the Babylonians reached the city of Jerusalem, they meticulously built siege ramps up into the city. It took months and maybe years to get these things built. And the whole time, the city was cut off from supplies and the people were daily reminded of their impending doom. It was obviously a haunting and dreadful experience. Now, if we can put ourselves inside the walls of this doomed city and hear the sound of siege ramps being built on the other side of the walls, and then we hear from the prophet Jeremiah from today's scripture reading, in the towns of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are deserted, inhabited by neither people nor animals, there will be heard once more the sounds of joy and gladness. The voices of bride and bridegroom and the voices of those who bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord saying, give thanks to the Lord Almighty for the Lord is good. His love endures forever. The promise of hope in the face of despair. The promise of hope when everything seems hopeless. The promise of hope as the darkness inches closer. I love this. God tells his people that they have reason to hope even in the midst of despair. And even in the midst of their own imminent death. We are indeed living in anxious and uncertain times. The sounds of worry and sorrow and sighing fill the air. 
But God always gives his people a reason to hope, no matter what circumstances they are facing. God's promise of hope can be summarized in two words. Someday. Someday, God will make all things new. Someday, the sound of aches and groans will cease forever. Someday, fear and anxiety and worry will perish forever. The promise of hope. On this first Sunday of Advent 2020, we remember this promise of hope. Isaiah captured this hope in Isaiah 9-2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And in John 1, verses 4 and 5, speaking of Jesus, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Eugene Peterson is the scholar who wrote the message version of the Bible. In one of his books, he writes, Every tragedy that we experience will finally become a triumph. Every deficiency in our ability to see or hear or walk or speak will be cured by grace. Everything in our bodies that does not work will finally be made workable to the glory of God. Everything in our souls that does not respond to the will of God will become through the powers of forgiveness and the ministrations of mercy an instrument of God's peace. The wholeness will be achieved on every level, material, physical, spiritual, personal, social. The wholeness will be the wholeness of the entire creation brought to a redeemed finish. Every hour of every day we live is a word or sentence or paragraph of the story that will finally come to this conclusion. Mike's second point, the problem of hope. Think about your life circumstances, relationships, finances, health, children, job situation, the future, your overall despair quotient in these days. Think about where life isn't working, where life is not good, where circumstances are hard. We all experience tough seasons in life. And when we're in the midst of them, we can almost hear the siege ramps being built around us, and we feel trapped. We feel like there's no way out. We feel hopeless. It is a strange thing to be a person of faith in God, a person who believes Jesus is king and his kingdom is real and good. But we sometimes feel hopeless. It may not seem like a very Christian thing to admit, but it is a very real thing to admit. It happens. We feel hopeless. So the hope ignited by words from the Bible, like in our scripture reading, gets doused by the reality of our situation and our circumstances. So we hear God say things in the Bible like, I will restore the fortunes of the land as they were before. Or we hear him say, as it was earlier in Jeremiah 33, I will heal my people and will let them enjoy abundant peace and security. And we're infused by hope. We believe God. But at the same time, we stare at our circumstances and we are infused with hopelessness. One of the great privilege I have as a pastor is to be invited into your circumstances and stories. It is the sacred ground of pastoral ministry. There is no past pain 
or present hardship beyond the reach of God's restoring power. So there is always reason to hope. And yet you and I know that everything does not always work out. Hard circumstances don't always resolve. Sometimes the siege ramps get built and the invasion happens and there's destruction and death. And this is the problem of hope. It isn't magic. Life doesn't always work out. The promise of hope does not always realize, is not always realized in how we want it to be in this life. The Israelites suffered as slaves at the hands of the Egyptians for 400 years. That's a lot of generations that came and went, all the while crying out for God and begging for his deliverance. But their deliverance took four centuries. So is hope just another way religious people whistle in the dark? Or in the words of one author, choke down suspicions that what we do as religious people is not the real world? Well, we must remember that there is always this now and not yet aspect of hope. We hope for healing. We hope for peace. We hope COVID eventually is contained. We hope our health improves. We hope our marriage survives. But in hoping, we do not cover our eyes to the authentic realness of a given situation. In the language of Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Remember that this, this was actually prophesied 700 years before Christ even came into the world. And yet even today, it still has not been fully realized. It hasn't fully come. We hope with our eyes wide open to the painful realities of life in a broken and fallen world. And our hope sustains us even when our circumstances do not resolve when or how we want them to. Hope is not whistling in the dark. It is clinging to the belief that the darkness does not have the final say. We hope and we struggle with hopelessness. Hope is not a world of pretender magic. It is authentic. Hope, and, hope happens in the midst of despair and darkness and in the midst of bouts of hopelessness. God usually moves slower than we would like him to. And God usually resolves things in ways we would never predict or prefer. Advent is the season of the Christian calendar where we ready ourselves for the arrival of the Messiah. We spend these four weeks before Christmas preparing for his company. Our hope is in him. We don't cover our eyes to reality. We don't whistle in the dark. Sometimes we cling to hope even as we struggle with hopelessness. And Mike's third point, the person of hope. Jeremiah 33, 14 to 16 states, In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior. In everyday life, we sometimes use the word 
hope in a wishful sort of way. Now remember, this is Mike speaking. I don't know what Julie is going to get me for Christmas, but I hope she gets me a brand new souped up, jacked up, tricked out Dodge minivan with all the bells and whistles. We tend to use the word hope like the word wish. I don't know if it's going to happen. It probably won't happen, but I sure wish it would happen. Now, this is nothing like Christian hope. You see, I know that my hope for a tricked-out minivan is based on a fragile foundation. In other words, it is based on our budget, and I know our budget. And our budget is far too fragile to handle the payments of a new van. I know that my hope for a new minivan is wishful thinking because it is so unlike the kinds of presents Julie and I typically exchange with, with each other at Christmas. We don't give each other gifts that cost as much as new minivans, so this goes against everything I experientially know about Christmas gifts between Julie and me. So I have no rational basis for hoping that a new slate gray minivan with supple leather interior will be parked in my driveway on December 25. Boy, he's really working on that minivan, isn't he? Hope is only as good as the dependability and reliability of the object of our hope. I hope the Packers beat the Bears tonight when they play. My hope is only as good as the dependability and reliability of the Green Bay football Packers. And I suppose the lack of dependability and reliability of the Chicago football Bears. So in this case, my hope is warranted and fairly secure. The point is... Christian hope is radically different from wishful thinking or from any other kind of hope. Christian hope is based on a person who has a perfect score in dependability and reliability. The person of Jesus Christ. The Lord, our righteous Savior, to use Jeremiah's phrase from the Gospel of John that was read earlier. Christian hope is based on the Word, the Logos, who was with God in the beginning and who was God and through whom all things are made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. So Christian hope is based on the reliability and dependability of God himself. He is the one we wait for, and look for, and hope for at Advent. Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, in him is our hope. We say a particular phrase many times, especially during our candlelight Christmas Eve liturgy, and it goes like this. All of history converges in Christ, and everything changes in the light of his coming. I'm going to say that again. All of history converges in Christ, and everything changes in the light of his coming. This is an audacious claim. The history of the universe turns on the person of Jesus. This is what Christians believe. As Christians, our hope is not in Joe Biden or Donald Trump or which political party controls the Congress. Our hope is not in avoiding COVID or surviving COVID or in a vaccine for COVID. Authentic, real Christianity operates in a different reality. So much so, believe it or not, for the authentic Christian, not even death can destroy hope. Because God has promised to fulfill all his promises. So all of his promises of healing and restoration and goodness will one day be fulfilled. He will make it so. 
he will bring it to pass. Our hope is in him, period. All of history converges in Christ, and everything, everything changes in the light of his coming. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Father, Son, and Spirit, as we gather again this morning under your blue sky, which you created simply for your own enjoyment, Lord, we come before you knowing that you are our ultimate hope. And I want to pray for those who are here or maybe are online, maybe some of the neighbors that can hear my voice that are starting to lose some of that hope. Lord, through your Holy Spirit, through the circumstances, through others, can you remind us again of the certainty of your hope, of the sureness of your hope, of the inevitability of your hope, that you are our God and you love us and you want what is best for us. While you are our hope now and our hope into the future, Lord, we look to you for all things. We worship you and we love you. And thank you for today. In Jesus' name. Amen.